0: Welcome to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ here in Bakersfield, California. Our effort here is to get the gospel of Jesus Christ to the entire world by whatever means available to us. We have found that technology has proven to be a very successful tool for the spread of the gospel through this podcast. The podcast now has reached at least 38 countries and continues to grow daily. Some of these countries are quite surprising that it has reached, however, Nothing is really surprising to me at what the work of God can do. We appreciate your support and your feedback, and the feedback that we receive from our listeners is very valuable to us and is necessary for our future. Please take the time to subscribe and rate us on iTunes or any other platform you may be listening on. These reviews help get the podcast promoted and suggested to individuals who may have never heard of Jesus and his love. The more ratings, the more likely it is to be suggested to somebody who may have never heard the gospel taught. Also, please leave a comment if you can. Again, thank you for your support and for the spread of the gospel. Let's now get to the sermon for this episode, which is a lesson titled The Seal of God and the Mark of the Beast by Frank Brancato. Two very popular topics, yet highly misunderstood by the world we live in today.
1: It certainly is wonderful to be here with all of you today, to worship God in spirit and in truth, and as always is the case, I do consider it an honor to speak concerning the Word of God, and I hope and pray that what we have to discuss for a little while this morning would be edifying to you, encouraging to you, and uh, certainly in an understandable fashion. Whenever you tackle a subject like this, the seal of God and the mark of the beast, it's difficult because in the study of all of this, you have to sift through all of the clutter. And what I mean by that is you've got to sift through all the varying interpretations and opinions about, for example, the mark of the beast. If you walk up to somebody uh, tomorrow and you ask them what the mark of the beast is, they'll have all manner of varying interpretations. And I've got to tell you, it's taken me quite a while to understand from the Word of God's standpoint what the mark of the beast really is. But today we're going to talk on this subject, the seal of God and the mark of the beast. And may I say as an introductory remark, the seal of God and the mark of the beast are completely at odds with one another. In other words, if a person has the seal of God, he does not have the mark of the beast. If a person has the mark of the beast, he does not have the seal of God. And i got to tell you, we're going to spend more time on the seal of God than we are on the mark of the beast. And I found these things to be very humbling and very encouraging and and, uh, really very edifying to me when I studied about more on the seal of God. But let's just begin now in Revelation chapter 7, and we'll begin there in verse 2. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Another passage taken in Revelation chapter 13, and we begin there in verse 15. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. So today, what we want to notice, what is the seal of God and what is the mark of the beast? Is the seal of God and the mark of the beast, are they literal or are they figurative language? Let's begin now with the seal of God. And as I said before, we're going to spend more time on the seal than we are on the beast. So we go to Revelation chapter 7 and we back all the way up into verse number 1. After these things, I saw four angels standing at, the cor- at four corners of the earth holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. You know, winds of earth can destroy all manner of things. Hurricanes, typhoons, and so forth. Uh, All these things happen, and winds can destroy the earth. The language beginning here is he's going to talk about something that, notice, The four corners of the earth holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. The phrase there, four corners of the earth, suggests something that is universal and worldwide. Please get this point. What's paramount in this vision is the providential protection of the sealed, his people, his saints, members of the Lord's church. You know, the concept of sealing the faithful was not unique to the people who first read this. In fact, Paul earlier stated this, a very familiar passage of scripture, as he wrote to the young evangelist Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19, where Paul said, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Paul also adds another or further perspective in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and beginning there in uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 first, in him you have also trusted after you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom you also having believed, get this, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is a guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Then here's Paul's further perspective. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning in verse 21. Now he who establishes us, us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. Who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Also, Paul gave serious warning to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So, in summary so far, in summary so far from Revelation 7 and verse 1. No winds of earth can interfere with the divine sealing of the saints. There's no wind of false doctrine or no other force of evil that can successfully interfere with the sealing of God's saints. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 2 now. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he who cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. The seal of the living God, get this, is in contrast with the mark of the beast. A little history, by the way, about a seal. Oriental or Eastern monarchs had their special seals with which marked was to mark and safeguard their possessions to validate legal documents. You remember Pharaoh... His signet ring, he gave it to Joseph in Genesis chapter 41 and verse 42. Darius used his signet to seal the stone of the lion's den where Daniel was cast in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 17. You also remember that the Shulamite girl said to her husband in Song of Solomon chapter 8 and verse 6, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. Now, the reason that that was rendered and what she meant by that is because she belonged to him only and he to her. When you have the seal of God, you belong to God. And God belongs to you. You ever stop and think in your life the blessings of having, of really having what everybody would love to have, but not everybody does? And that is a relationship with God that You are God's, and he is yours. What an amazing blessing. And I'm going to tell you this too. If you can focus on that, it doesn't matter what happens in life. The circumstances of life, they don't matter. If you constantly remember, I belong to God, and God belongs to me. And I am sealed by God. Now, this phrase here, to harm the earth and the sea, means to harm its inhabitants. And in context here, this is what it means. It means to interfere with their sealing or their eternal salvation. The living God will not allow this interference. He is ever in control of what happens on his footstool. Now, got to make a point of clarification, okay? I'm not preaching a doctrine of once saved, always saved, and I'm not saying you can't lose your salvation. What I'm saying is, The world can't take it away. You can lose it. If you give it up, you can lose it. But the world can't take it away. And there's nobody of all the winds of the earth that can destroy the earth. No one can destroy the seal of God and his relationship with God. And his eternal salvation can't be taken from anything that's in the world. Notice these very encouraging, wonderful passages of scripture. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 35. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, also in Romans chapter 8, it says that all good things come, or good things come to those, or God works for good In those that love God. That doesn't mean all the circumstances in your life. What it means is it's referring to God's plan. It'll all work out regarding your salvation if you're faithful. And we're going to find if you are one of the sealed of God. All right. Now, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 3, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees. Till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Now, the sealing in the forehead suggests the mind. It involves certainly the spirit of man. And Paul puts it this way, Ephesians chapter 4. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you may put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So, appropriately, we are sealed in our foreheads. That's very important because when we talk about the beast, we're going to talk about foreheads again. Very important to be sealed in our foreheads. Homer Haley says it this way. Sealed on their foreheads, get this, suggests a most conspicuous place visible to all. Everyone who beholds the servant will recognize him as belonging to God. Let me ask you a question. Do people in your life know you're a child of God? Remember the old, old days, the old-time preachers? Remember the old days gone by when they used to say that if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I remember that as a kid hearing um, my whole young life. Let me ask you this. When people see you in your life, in your daily walk of life in everything that you do, do they know you're a child of God? This, being sealed of God, means this. It's in your mind. It's demonstrated in action. And when it's demonstrated in action, everybody should know that is a child of God in the way that we live. So that's the sealing in the foreheads, a most conspicuous place that's visible to all. We must realize, though, that this, those that are sealed are not spared from persecution. And that's going to happen to the Lord's return. And i got to tell you, I don't know how many people I have known in my life who have become discouraged. And, you know, everybody can get discouraged. I've been discouraged from time to time. I think everyone has been discouraged in one way or the other in their life. If you could say that you've never been discouraged or never had a sad day or a down day because of the things in your life, you're either not telling the truth or there's really something uh, by way of reality you don't understand. Because it is reality and it does happen. Please understand, when you are sealed of God in your forehead, that's true, that's wonderful, the great blessings of that. It doesn't mean you're free from being persecuted. That's going to happen. My point is, it's going to happen, but it doesn't matter. That's what Paul meant when he says all of these things, these light afflictions, they're momentary. There's little things. He had terrible things happening to him, right? He said, not that they're not there. He says, they don't matter. He was sealed of God sealed in his forehead. All right, let's go further. Notice this in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Now, who are the 144,000? Uh, The number, by the way, is not an exhaustive literal number, but a symbolic number of completeness. I preached on the 144,000, and I mentioned this. We're going to notice a little bit. This is the part two of that as we take it a little bit further. The 144,000 represent the redeemed, get this, while living on the earth. Hendrickson says it this way. It is very clear that the sealed multitude of Revelation chapter 7 symbolizes the entire church militant fighting for the truth, standing against error. The entire church militant. The 144,000 sealed individuals out of the 12 tribes of Israel symbolize spiritual Israel, the church of God on earth. That's the 144,000. And by the way, verses 5 through 8 of Revelation 7 deal with that showing physical Israel as a picture or as a type of spiritual Israel, which is the church. All right, now we go to verse 9. Oh, this is amazing. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, There's a great multitude, it says, that no one could number. You know, John's about to see in heaven something that was as spectacular as he saw on earth. He saw on earth a symbolic number of completeness, 144,000 that were sealed. That's the church. That's the church beginning in AD 33 and will exist all the way until the Lord comes back. The church militant while life still stands. He saw a magnificent thing. These are the saved that are on the earth, but now he talks about this. He said, "Behold, a great multitude which no one can number, all nations, tribes, people, and tongues." He sees them standing before the throne and before the Lamb, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This is one of the eternal. These vision is one of eternal redemption. This numberless throng stands triumphantly before God who is on the throne of heaven. And what's amazing is, clothed with robes, if you back up just a little bit, right here, standing before the throne, that's the throne of God. This is amazing to me. And before the Lamb. The 144,000, which is a symbolic number of Christians on earth, when we get to heaven, we'll be part of the innumerable multitude and we'll be before the throne of God and the Lamb that redeemed us. What an amazing thing. And you know, it won't matter all of our frailties and all of our mistakes we made because when we get there, you know what we're going to have? White robes. Not white because of our own goodness. Not white because of all the wonderful things we did. But we will have white robes on for one reason. The lamb that died for our sin shed his blood, and the lamb made our robes white. Isn't that great? Oh, but there's more. There's more. With palm branches in their hands. You know, this is not literal palm branches. Did you know that palm branches represent victory? That's why on that particular Sunday when Jesus entered, the triumphantly entered Jerusalem, they had palms. It was a rejoicing of victory, thinking he was going to establish an earthly kingdom. Picture this symbol in your mind. John the Revelator sees this vision, and he sees the innumerable multitude that were the hundred and forty-four thousand on the earth. Now they're before the throne of God and the Lamb, and we're wearing white robes. And guess what? We win victory. We win victory over what? Over adversity. Over all temptations. Over all sin over all the toils of the road. And we won't say that the toils of the road will then seem as nothing. When we get there, we will say the toils of the road will be nothing. And once again, these are among the redeemed that were on from the earth. Revelation 14 now in verse 1. Then I looked and behold the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. And with him, 144,000, get this, having his father's name written on their foreheads. This is the same number we found in chapter 7. But now we see them further gloriously uh, described. The father's name being written on their foreheads refers to divine knowledge, approval, and acceptance of the father, and their own spiritual discernment. What an amazing thing. We've talked about the seal on the forehead. Now we're going to notice this. It's the seal of God. Now we're going to notice it's God's name written on their foreheads. We are nothing. But how about being someone who God recognizes as his because he sees his name on your forehead? Isn't that great? Revelation 14, verses 2 and 3. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four and Living creatures and the elders and no one could learn, get this please, that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. This is an incredible passage. Made even more spectacular is the entering of the 144,000. And you know what? This same group that was saved on earth is now before the throne. 144,000, and you know what? We're singing a new song. But do you see what else it says up there? Do you see that? The only ones that could know the song, learn the song, and sing the song were the 144,000 that were redeemed on the earth. You can't go to heaven, folks, without the Lord. You can't go to heaven without the church. You can't go to heaven without being in 144,000. Symbolic number of the saved while they're living on the earth. They're the innumerable multitude standing before the throne of God and the Lamb that redeemed us in our white robes. Singing the new song on that day. What a scene. What else describes this group? Listen, folks. This is the Bible talking here. Who are going to find themselves in that category? Revelation 14 and verse 4. These are the ones who were, have not defiled with women. They are virgins. Now, this right here is a, is a figurative term. Okay? It's a figurative term. It has nothing to do with male or female. It has nothing to do with that. It's a figurative term re- representing purity of a Christian life. So those that are in this number are those that have lived a pure Christian life. Perfect? No. Forgiven. Forgiven. And done their very best to live according to the word of God. But there's more. He goes on and says this. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. You can't do it on your own. You need the Lord. And if you make heaven it'll be because you lived a christian life and it's because you follow the lamb you follow the lamb so we've seen a lot of figurative language here my point is this if god's people are sealed and that seal is figurative in their foreheads okay then what's the mark of the beast And is that mark of the beast literal or figurative? Let me just say this. Let me talk about, and I'll be brief about this. What the mark of the beast is not, nor the number of his name. Okay? And by the way, the next verse after what we're going to talk about gives a number. And you know what that number is? It's 666. Okay? So we're going to talk about what the mark of the beast is not, nor the number of his name. All right. Let me just talk about a few things. And believe it or not, the, these are beliefs. The mark of the beast is not, nor the number of his name, it is not referring to any American politician. It is not. You know, they've, people have put together the number 666 and you add letters to the numbers and so forth. And then you come up, you know that, and then you come up with a name. Even goes back to the 80s, by the way. Somebody even suggested it was Ronald Reagan. Somebody even suggested that. So it's not the mark of the beast, by the way. It's not President Obama. It's not Donald Trump. It's not Biden. It's not any American politician, period. What else is it not? It's not the coronavirus. Oh, it's not the coronavirus. You know what else it's not? Look at this. It's not a Visa card. Nor a chip implanted in your head secretly hidden away in the new COVID vaccine. Not that either. What else is it not? It's not a secret chip inserted in your brain during a routine nose swabbing COVID test. Yeah, somebody actually said that. I'm not going to get that test. Because when they shove that thing, I'm thinking, how far do you think they're going to put that thing? What they're doing is they're slip right on in there and they're gonna plant that chip right in the brain. That's the mark of the beast. After all, it didn't it say it's in the forehead? What else is it not? It's not 5G. It's not 5G. What else? It's not a tracking device forced upon us so that the United States government can control us. It's not that either. Enough of that. Revelation 13, verses 16 and 17. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, what's the beast first of all if we're going to talk about the mark of the beast we have to first talk about what the beast is what's the beast in the book of revelation it lists two it lists the sea beast and the land beast now please get this the sea beast and the land beast whatever that is we'll get to that in a minute the sea beast and the land beast work together with satan They are Satan's operatives, I guess you might say. They work together with Satan. So, what are the two beasts? What's the sea beast and what's the land beast? Hendrickson said the two beasts sea beast is anti Christian government, land beast is anti Christian religion. Work in perfect cooperation. They work together with the devil to oppose the truth and to persecute the Lord's people, his church, with indescribable vengeance. Burton Kaufman adds this Satan, the sea beast, and the land beast are the unholy trinity working together. Now, Revelation 13 verses 16 and 17, the phrase he causes all. And I want to make a point about this because when the Bible talks about where when all is used, it seems like universal and all-inclusive. And that's true. But here in this passage, it's, it says all, but it's relative. In other words, it says he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their forehead or on their, a mark in their right hand or on their foreheads. So, it is all, but it's not all inclusive. Because those that are excluded are the sealed of God, the 144,000, the redeemed on earth. You're not going to have that beast. You're not going to have that mark. The redeemed don't have that mark. Now, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, this mark is not literal. Folks, it is figurative. In fact, Burton Kaufman says this. There's no likelihood that anything literal is meant by this mark. Described in their right hand likely means accepted and practiced. Described in their foreheads likely means in their minds believed, conceived, that is, their thoughts and their ideas. Hendrickson further says... The mark of the beast is the God-opposing, Christ-rejecting, church-persecuting spirit of Antichrist wherever and whenever it shows itself. The mark of the beast. Revelation 14, 9 and 10. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark... On his forehead or on his hand. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Folks, this is the doom of the second beast, the land beast. That's false apostate religions. Plaguing the world even to this very day. Until the end of time. Worshipping the beast and his image. Brother Don McCord in his commentary on Revelation. Which I recommend is excellent. He said this. Herein is the mark of the beast. It's believing, promoting, practicing, indicating all false religion. Receiving his mark in his forehead or in his hand. That's the mark of the beast. So practically, the mark represents, get this, it represents the final act of loyalty to the beast. The final act of loyalty to false religions or those who teach error. However, those who refuse the mark... By making their declaration for God, by obedience to the truth, and according to the scriptures. He has the seal or name of God written symbolically on his forehead. He is also one of the 144,000. He's a part of the redeemed on earth and will be one of the innumerable multitude wearing a white robe in heaven, standing before the throne of God and the Lamb that took away our sins. So here's the thing, folks. If you're a child of God, living faithfully to the Word of God, you know what you have? You got the name of God on your forehead. You got the seal of God on your forehead, and you don't have the mark of the beast. So don't worry about of cards, chips. Don't worry about that stuff. Those were figurative language, representing something that the world simply does not understand. I'm finished.